Hi, this is the Apologist Bookshelf. Gary Zacharias here. I want to take a second look at one of the books in the Politically Incorrect Guide series. This is one called Politically Incorrect Guide to the Bible. And uh, Robert Hutchinson is the author. I'd like to take a look at chapter 6. It's titled, In the Image and Likeness of God. And uh, they start off saying many Christians and, and Jews, of course, believe the Bible is inerrant with what it teaches. But they said sometimes you need to know the genre or type of text in a given passage to understand what the Bible teaches. And they said, um, so it's kind of interesting. This is actually touching on other books that talk about how to read the Bible well. It says there are many cases where the intent of a biblical author is not objective scientific history in the modern sense with things like eyewitness testimony and correlated sources and things like that. But it's trying to present the big picture to make a theological point. And you may wonder, well, where is this going? Well, it says it's particularly true when you talk about the creation account in Genesis. It says most Christians and Jews understand that the biblical author was not doing a book of astrophysics or developmental biology, but to have a more startling point, which is God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion, etc., etc. It says God created man in his image, in the divine image he created him, male and female, he created them. So it said that at this point, uh, you start thinking about evolution, of course, and it says, uh, the author says controversies over evolution and creation create kind of a false split. The real issue is not whether evolution is valid, it's how the theory is applied or understood. And so they say that, you know, for some people, they can believe that there was evolution, but not atheistic and mechanistic. Okay, so religious believers don't object to evolution if it's uh, God-guided. But um, anyway, so <laughs> I thought this is an interesting quote. They drop in quotes all through this book. It's uh, titled, Who Said It? Here's the quote. So great is my veneration for the Bible that the earlier my children begin to read it, the more confident will be my hope that they will prove useful citizens of their country and respectable members of society. I have for many years made it a practice to read through the Bible once every year. That was John Quincy Adams. So I thought that was interesting. So um, they, they have an article here that they're quoting from a man named George Frederick Wright said, Bible teaches a system of evolution. And you think, what? Uh, but not atheistic evolution. It says the world was not made in an instant or even in one day, whatever period day may signify, but in six days. So he says there was a process there of some kind going from an early process, going from lower to higher forms of matter and life. And the same author that he's quoting from, Wright, says that <clears throat> what conservative Christians were objecting to was the doctrine of evolution that eliminated God. And said that we are just a part of a mechanical universe. And um, this is while the evidence for evolution says there, there may be some kind of evolution going on. It said there are religious groups and thinkers who point out all sorts of holes in the naturalistic theories of evolution. And I've done a lot of research on this. Uh, and there are. There, it's so interesting how evolutionists present this unified front to the general public. Oh, yes, everything's taken care of. We understand how evolution works to trust us. But when they talk to each other and when they write uh, scientific journals, there are all sorts of problems they have with it. And so this book points that out. It said uh, many biological scientists concede that the 
evidence today, like the fossil record, does not wholly support Darwin's theory of gradual change because the species appear to kind of pop up suddenly without any of these intermediate steps. Uh, I remember they, they used to say the evolutionary picture that was presented by the atheist would be something like a tree that uh, has a, a root and it comes up and then it starts branching off. But people that look at the record say, you know, the record is more like uh, a bunch of grass. There's a whole bunch of things that are coming up at the same time, not one and then branching off. So uh, he, they point that out uh, in here, the, the author does, says even Richard Dawkins, who popularized evolution, he wrote The Blind Watchmaker and The God Delusion, he concedes, quote, some biologists have had doubts about Darwin's particular theory of how evolution happened. Gee, no kidding. Here's a, a section, too, since we're talking Genesis. Here's a section, uh, the same chapter. It's kind of interesting, by the way. The, the book is, I don't want to say disorganized. It's probably not the right way to put it. But it's, it uh, puts a lot of different ideas together in one chapter. <clears throat> so it's kind of fun because you don't know what you're going to come across. Yeah, kind of a potpourri of ideas. So here's uh, something interesting. How could a flood cover all the earth? And this is Genesis again. So you can see this chapter really does focus on Genesis. But it says, skeptics will say in Genesis 8 9, the flood covered the whole earth. But that's impossible. If the earth had 30,000 feet of water, now that would cover the highest mountains, then there'd be no place for the waters to go to to recede. It'd still cover the whole earth. So they said that's scientifically impossible. But... Uh, said, kind of interesting, he said, Biblical Hebrew frequently uses absolute terms that are not meant to be taken literally. So, the Hebrew phrase that we translate as the whole earth literally means all the land, and that frequently refers to people, not geography, and to local regions, not the entire planet. And they give you some examples here. Second Samuel 18.8 says the battle was spread over the whole earth, meaning the entire region around Mahanaim, not the whole planet. How about First, uh, First Chronicles 14, 17? It says King David's fame extended to the whole earth. It says it's kind of doubtful that the Bible is talking about people in China or Australia or anything. So it says for people who accept that the flood really did happen, it wasn't just a legend, it says it may have been a cataclysmic regional catastrophe like is the, that's been recorded in other Near Eastern um, journals, places like Sumer and Babylonia and Egypt and Greece, as that there are numerous prehistoric deluges of catastrophic proportions. They give an example. The lower Tigris-Euphrates Valley was flooded 12,000 years ago. The Black Sea was flooded 7,600 years ago. So if you're talking local flood, and I know Hugh Ross, with his organization Reasons to Believe, says he thinks it was a local flood, and he gives a lot of other reasons. So anyway, you can even take something like uh, that Genesis account, 8-9, and, and show that it's not scientifically nuts. Let's go to the next section of this book. So Hutchinson has a subtitle here, Created. Right? It says uh, we were created by God. It says me, it, what it means is we're endowed with dignity and rights. It says if you're an atheist or you're a pagan, it's pretty hard to believe in the inherent dignity and worth of human beings. Uh, Marquis de Sade said this, talking about uh, what the human situation was like. Miserable creatures thrown for a moment on the surface of this little pile of mud. Wow. What does that say about our lives? Not worth very much. And it says uh, he was one of the first modern writers to champion abortion and infanticide. It's not a big deal, is it? 
So it says, if you believe humans are nothing more than chemical accidents, it's hard to believe human life is inherently sacred or that human beings have any rights. So that's precisely why the early champions of scientific evolution quickly extended their theories into social and political realms. So I, I want you to think about that for just a second. So scientific evolution, it's just talking about biology and talking about the ancient earth. But they said... Once that theory got off the ground, Darwinism, then others started pushing that same concept into social realms and political realms. And that's called social Darwinism. And what do you end up with? Eugenics, uh, survival of the fittest, and the Nazis. They're very big on this. The anti-humanitarian people don't really have any rights. Your rights come from being part of a group and having guns. Uh, he has a section here on the dangers of anti-creationist thought. Charles Dar Darwin's own half-cousin argued that charitable institutions like orphanages, that was not good because it allowed inferior human beings to survive rather than faster than the, the superior ones. So can you see what's going on here? If we don't have any inherent rights, then what's our value as humans? Uh, being useful, being smart, being beautiful. But the Bible says human beings were created in the image and likeness of God. That carries certain corollaries. So we have an obligation to our fellow humans, don't we? Think about what God said in Isaiah. Hutchinson quotes Isaiah 10, first three verses. Woe to those who enact unjust decrees, who compose oppressive legislation to deny justice to the weak and to cheat the humblest of my people of fair judgment, to make widows their prey and to rob the orphan. So, uh, Matthew 25, Jesus is talking here, and it sounds like people's salvation depends on how they treated their fellow human beings. Because Jesus says he's going to separate people, like separating sheep from goats, and he, the king is going to say to some of them, he's going to say, you're blessed, come on in, the kingdom's ready for you. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And so uh, he ends up in that parable saying, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Interesting. Maybe that's not a parable. I probably shouldn't call it that. But anyway, the story that Jesus tells there. So he's saying again that if you buy into Genesis and you think we are a special creation of God, then you treat each other well. And he says, given that idea and what Jesus said in Matthew 25, he said they did a huge survey in the year 2000. To, and they found out that if you participate in worship services, that's the best predictor for charitable giving. Isn't that interesting? According to the Gallup organization, if you're religiously observant, you donated two-thirds of all the donations in the United States. Two-thirds. And then I just want that to sink in for a second. That's impressive. That study also found that religious liberals are 19 points more likely than secular liberals to give to charity and religious conservatives are far more likely than their secular conservatives to do so. So it doesn't break down on uh, political realms, you know, as, as far as divisions between liberals and conservatives. It's, are you religious? Are you going to church? And if so, are you, you must be buying in the Bible, somewhat anyway, and you're going to give more. He says, now, catch on here. I think this is good. Religious people aren't necessarily more ethical 
than their secular counterparts. You don't have to believe in God to be a good person, and that's true. There have been some great people who've done wonderful things. But he says at the end of the chapter, we can say that the biblical idea of man being created in the image and likeness of God has been and continues to be the most powerful motive for philanthropy in the world. That's a good uh, thing to end up on. So the idea of being created in the image of God uh, suggests that we need to take care of our fellow human beings. Not that we always do a good job, that's for sure. So that's uh, the book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Bible. A lot of good chapters in here. You might enjoy it. It's uh, Robert Hutchinson's the author. And I appreciate you listening, and we'll do another podcast soon. So have a good rest of your day.